0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. God bless you and thank you for joining us again this week on the program. I trust you are excited about what we're sharing from the book of Romans. Uh, we, We were in a study of the book of Romans. I've wanted to do this for a long time. I'm so thankful because of television that I'm able to unpack a lot of things verse by verse and chapter by chapter that I can't do when I'm traveling and I'm on the road, usually with three or four day meetings at most. And so this just is such a blessing to be able to share with you in a systematic format some things that I think are just a blessing to be able to get recorded and on video. And uh, you know, if you're just tuning in for the first time, and you say, "Well, I've been—I missed probably—I think we've filmed over probably six, eight programs already on the Book of Romans, and we're in Chapter Three right now." And uh, you—you've missed them, but you say, "Man, this is some good stuff. I want to go back and listen to it again, or I want to be able to study this." you can go back to our YouTube channel and you can watch them on demand, or you can go back to our podcast and uh, listen to the audio portions, or you can go to the RSS feed for your Android device. And the easiest way, again, to do that is simply to go to my website at lenhiles.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there are icons that'll take you to the YouTube, the podcast, and the RSS feed there's also multiple multiple uh, resources available to you our books videos audio files there's a place there where you can f- sign up for our streaming message of the month service and that is a message that we send out uh, once a month from someplace we preached that in the world let me just say a few months about that because there's an, there's an icon and a uh, thing you can scan there on the screen to sign up for that. Let me just say a little bit about that, because once you sign up for that, and I, 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 I'm not, I think it's $5 a month, I'm not sure exactly, it's either $5 or $7 a month. But it, it, once you sign up, it gives you access to everything we have archived, and there, we put extra content on that, that we couldn't send out if we were sending out CDs. So there's stuff on there that you wouldn't get otherwise unless you just go in, and you can go back through that, and man, there is literally uh, corn bins full of truth that you can get uh, just for uh, becoming a partner in that fashion and listening to our streaming service. So that's available to you. All right, I want to get back in the Word today, and what we've done is we've shifted gears. Chapters 1 and 2 of the book of uh, Romans are dealing with God-indicting outsiders. And he's naming their sin. And he shows them that he's concluded them under sin to bring them to a place of repentance, that when they didn't glorify God as God, they worshiped to serve the creature rather than the Creator. Here was the lifestyle that was a result of a false concept about God. But then he turns the tide, because what happens is, is that when most people read Romans 1 and 2, we get this Pharisaical attitude to thank God I'm not like that sinner. And, you know, I think sometimes it's easier to get people delivered from drugs than it is to get them delivered from religion. I said someplace I was at jokingly, I think I'm a recovering Pharisee. And that may be very true because I still, coming from my old roots, want to become judgmental when I see certain things that people's behaviors. But, you know, really I'm beginning to shift more so than being judgmental, being compassionate to say, wait a minute, instead of viewing them as dirty, rotten scoundrels, they're broken people just like I was at one time. See, I think it's easy for us to judge other people when we forget that, as Paul said, and such were some of us, once we were darkness. And there are still areas of our life that needs to be dealt with. But the truth of it is, is that the church ought to be a hospital for the wounded and the broken, because Jesus loves broken people. And you can see that in his example when he walked the planet, because broken people is all there is. And so when we come to him that way, then we are coming to him and humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then all of a sudden God begins to raise us up. He gives more grace to the humble. When you begin to realize that you humble yourself, then God raises you up. But then in Romans chapter 3, he begins to turn the tide from just being on the center that we would think out, out and right outsiders, and he begins to turn it on the insiders. And so as he begins to indict them, I'm going to jump back in in verse number 9 of this. I won't go up to the top of it because I've already dealt with that in the last segment. It says, verse number 9, so where does that put us? Let, Let me switch over here to my notes on this because I've got it printed out. So where does that put us? Do we Jews get a better break than the others? In other words, he's shifting it now. And he's saying, you know what? It's easy to keep the heat on other people when you point out their sin and you point out what's wrong with them. In other words, we always, you know, I was thinking, we, we we seem to find what we think is our pet sins or the issues of the day, so to speak, that we think are the biggies. Because what happens is, when you point at others, it keeps the heat off of you. And we find out as we look at the different kinds of sin that are mentioned in Romans, whether it be the perversions of sexual sin or idolatry, but he begins to shift and starts talking about wrath and, and, and malice and envy and strife and, and, uh, you know, uh, covetousness and, uh, you know, all those things, and as he tells you in, in the book of Galatians, of such, I've told you before and i tell you again, that they would do such things will not, here's a key word, inherit the kingdom of God. And what we've done with that is make that about heaven, and he's not talking about heaven there, he's talking about us inheriting as a, see, When you inherit something, you get something as a result of somebody dying and leaving you something. Well, i got good news for you. Somebody died and left you something. His name is Jesus. And what He gave to us is He gives us the kingdom. The kingdom is the Holy Spirit, righteousness, peace, and joy that's inside of us. It is the government of heaven that's not coming from an external code of rules on rocks, but from an internal supply of spirit where heaven's government is set up inside of you, and the throne of the king is inside of you, you become the governor's mansion. And you inherit the kingdom, which produces righteousness, peace, joy, long-suffering, generous meekness, temperance. But he goes on to say that I tell you that those that do such things, they that are in the flesh, the works of the flesh are made manifest, which are these. And interestingly enough, I probably shouldn't sidetrack here. But when he, Paul was talking about being in the flesh, the whole context of Galatians 1 through 4, until you get up into chapter 5, where he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, he's talking about circumcision in the flesh. He starts out by saying, You started out in the Spirit. Do you think you will be made perfect in the flesh? You that do miracles, did you do it by the hearing of faith or by the works of the flesh? Romans, I believe it is chapter 7 said, when we were uh, in in the flesh we were under the law. So Paul calls one aspect of being in the flesh is trying to do this through human performance and rule keeping. As a matter of fact, Romans 8, if you read it, I'm getting ahead of myself. Romans 8 in the Message Bible says, all that passing laws against sin did was make more lawbreakers, because sin stirs up all manner of concupiscence, and it is the strength of sin. So when you are under the law, here's what happens, hatred, malice, envy, strife, division. And those are things that you see in every church, especially the more legalism is preached. Paul said it guises itself, it dresses itself up in all of this uh, religious garb that, that seduces you into thinking, uh, seduces you into becoming this Pharisee full of pride and hatred and malice and envy. He said, and I tell you before the day that do such things are not inheriting the kingdom. In other words, this is not about going to heaven, it's about these are lifestyles that are not allowing you to enjoy the kingdom of God in your life right now. I think sometimes even as holidays approach, and we look at holidays that we can't even set and enjoy our loved ones, and they don't even want to come around because every time they come, we want to throw the law on them to try to straighten them out, you know, or be, if you will, the church sheriff. And it just becomes resistant. Listen, let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit is the one that produces change. Now I'm not saying it's not uh, all right to speak into people's lives, but if you make every event you have with your family, uh, you know, a, a an opportunity for you to get on a soapbox and try to straighten them out, well, the first thing going to happen is they ain't going to come around anymore. But if you allow God to touch their lives, you might see the goodness of God lead them to repentance. But as we come on down through here, what we're seeing is that He's not just indicting the outsiders, He's indicting this whole Insiders as well, and uh, he's he's bringing them to the acknowledgement that they need a savior too. So let me just again uh, begin in verse number. Two. So where does that put us? Do we Jews get a better break than the others? Not really. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, we all start in the identical conditions, which is to say that we all start out as sinners. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. There's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody that does the score. Nobody alert for God. No one living right, I can't find a single one. Their throats are gaping graves, their tongues slick as mudslides. Their words they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouth and pollute the air. They race for the honor of sinner of the year, litter the land with heartbreak and ruin, don't know the first thing about living with others. They never give God the time of day. This makes it clear, doesn't it, that whatever the Scriptures, whatever's written in these Scriptures is not what God says about others, but to us who these scriptures were addressed in the first place. And it's clear enough, isn't it, that we're sinners, every one of us, in the same sinking boat with everybody else. Our involvement with God's revelation or with the scriptures doesn't put us right with God. Knowing the scriptures, going to church, being faithful to Sunday school, being a deacon in the church, shaking the preacher's hand, knowing all the rules and preaching them, does it make us right with God. Our, our involvement does, does not put us right with God. What it does is force us to face our complicity and everyone else's sin. Now let me just say this to you. You know, I, 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 every time I read this, I can't help but think about, there's a guy that traveled with me for a number of years, 20-some years or better. He's 79 now, so he goes some, but not nearly as much. But he came, when he came to me, the Lord spoke to me to take him on the road with me. This guy came from an Italian mafia background. His father was a, uh, a, a a mafia boss. And matter of fact, his father was the precedent setting case for the RICO Act when Bobby Kennedy was trying to take the mob down. But this guy's son traveled with me. When he first started traveling with me, he didn't know God from Adam's house, Cat. I mean, he didn't hardly know nothing about the Scriptures. <laughs> the first time I ever preached on Moses and the Ten Commandments, he said to me, you mean that's in the Bible? I said, "Yeah." He said, man, I saw that movie, Charlton Heston starred in that. He says, is that where they got that? I said, yes. Sir. So I bought him a Bible. And, uh, you know, uh, so I bought him a Bible, and uh, we were flying to actually Yuma, Arizona at the time to preach. I was flying from Washington. He was flying from Pittsburgh. We were going to meet in Phoenix and then fly the rest of the way into Yuma, Arizona. My flight arrived, and I made the connection, went on to Yuma. When his flight was delayed in Pittsburgh, he didn't get to make it. So I had bought him this Bible, and he thought while he was stuck in the airport for several hours, he thought, I'm going to read this Bible. I'm just going to read. So he said, I opened my Bible and started reading. He said, he, wrote, uh, he, he read Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. When he walks in the hotel room that night, uh, he, it was late that night, and he came, when he finally arrived and his flight got there, he says, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. And I looked, I said, what is wrong with you, brother? And he said, have you read this book? I said a couple times. And he looked at me and he said, you know, he said, boss, I, I shouldn't have done that. I'd probably hit that microphone. But anyway, uh, he said, uh, let me just straighten that out. But he, he says, uh, you know, boss, he said, uh, if, he called me boss. He said, if you're scamming the people, I'm still with you. And I said, well, thank you for your, uh, you know, your your vote of confidence here, but what are you concerned about? He said, have you read this book? I said, yeah. He said, man, I'm guilty of several death penalties i'm unclean man he said i am done i said how far what'd you read i said he said man i i read romans one and two he said i got i slapped my bible together stuck it back in my suitcase i looked around like i hope nobody saw me do that because he said man i thought dude he looked at me he said i am guilty i said how far did you get he said romans two i said sit down here right now and read the next chapter because romans one two and three are the diagnoses? The deliverance comes from chapter 4 on. But I said, what you need to understand is, not only does He indict you, He indicts you and me, insiders, outsiders, holy dudes and unholy dudes, if there is such a thing. And so He really, He says, I, I said, and this is the only Scripture, and, and the moment i he can, he can quote this verbatim, I'll say, there's none righteous, and He'll go, no, Not even one. There is none that does good. In other words, God makes us face our complicity in everybody else's sin. But there's something new that God is doing. Uh, What, what it does is force us to face our complicity in everyone else's sin. God has, but the bottom line is, is He switches now so that God has done the making right. Now He switches gears here in Romans 3. This is where the change begins to take place. I'm, I'm so excited about this. And I put in my notes, this is the gospel in a nutshell. And remember, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. And after he tells them, our involvement with God's revelation doesn't put us right with God, what it does is force us to face our complicity in everyone else's sin. But in our time, here's, here's where it shifts, verse 21, but in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets, 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 witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about, has become Jesus setting things right for us. Man, is that good news. And not only for us, but for everyone, watch this, who believes in Him. There's some out there who are saying that it's not necessary to believe. There's just too much in the Word of God to me, uh, you know, to, 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 to circumvent, to say you don't need to believe. It is not just grace, but grace and faith that we talked about the dynamic dual of the objective and subjective sides of the Gospel. The objective side is what God did in Christ without any help from you, that's grace. But the object, or the subjective side of it, which means it applies to me, is what I appropriate by faith. I call that the walk of faith. So now he's shifting gears from performance and do something to now he's trying to get you to believe something. Watch this. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in Him. That's insiders and outsiders. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Oh, hallelujah. What good news is that? Out of sheer generosity, He puts us in right standing with Himself as a pure gift. My God, what a good news that is, that He does this for us as a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in, and restored us to where He always wanted us to be, and He did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear clear that world of sin. Having faith in Him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with Him, through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins He had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in His righteousness. Now let me stop for a moment, because that is so powerfully the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. So what, under the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant law of Moses, the only way you could be righteous was if you kept every law, every jot, every tittle, and every portion of the law, law, then you could be declared righteous, right standing with God. It was due, and then you get to be. And so what we have concluded over the last several programs is nobody made it on the basis of the works of the law. Not even Moses, who was the mediator of that covenant, made it in on the works of the law, because under the law, if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of the whole thing. And let me tell you, there are so many people who came to God, and instead of getting under the right covenant and the gospel of grace, they got preached the law, and they realized, I can't live this, so they quit and went out because they thought, well, if I mess up one time, my salvation is that volatile. And I ask people the question all the time, how many good works do you have to do in order to be saved. And they tell you, well, no, you can't do enough good works. You can't do enough good works. You can't do, good works don't save you. And we just shout and holler amen to that. You can't do enough good works to be saved. So then I ask the question, how many bad works do you need to be unsaved? and people think about that for a moment because what they've been taught most of their lives is just one thing. All I need to do is one bad thing, and I've lost my salvation forever, and I am forever lost, and I'm going to die and go to hell. I never, I can't, I cannot, I can remember when I was young, every night praying, God forgive me, and I'm not, I'm saying that it's wrong for you to, you know, ask God to bring repentance, or to bring repentance in your life. But what I'm saying is that your salvation is not predicated on whether or not you got to say a prayer before you took your final breath. Because it's, I, I, I I sat, literally prayed over a woman in a hospital in Oklahoma City who was up in years. She had faithfully served God her entire life. And she was on her deathbed. And she said to me, Dr. House, she said, pray for me that in my final moments I don't foul up and have an evil thought and miss heaven. And I stood there and thought, if all your life in church has produced that kind of unbelief, and that's what it did, it produced unbelief, then something's wrong with what we're preaching. She should have high-fived me and said, i fought a good fight. I have kept the faith Therefore there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, because the Scripture tells us that the law shuts up faith. It will make an unbeliever out of you. And what it does is the more that you, 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 you preach, you know, against stuff, the more, see, people used to ask me, well, what do you all believe at that church? I said, well, we don't believe that, you know, women should cut their hair. We don't believe men should wear shorts. We don't believe women should wear makeup. We don't believe you should play, you know, watch TV. We don't believe, we don't believe, we don't believe, and it's, no matter what the system was, I was telling somebody who asked me what we believe, I was telling what we don't believe in, and it dawned on me, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I've sat in church my whole life and became an unbeliever, because they never taught me anything to believe. Because they never taught me that my righteousness in the New Covenant is not based on what I've done. It's based on what He's done. I look to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that this righteousness is a free gift to everyone who believes. In other words, the righteousness, the being put in righteousness, again, doesn't mean you don't have any flaws. It it, it doesn't mean you glow in the dark, It means you've been put in right standing and in right relationship with God, and there's no barrier between Him and you. And now, even when you messed up, you can crawl up on His lap and say, Daddy, I messed up. I need your help. Not, oh, I need to hide from my Daddy. I need to run from Him. Uh, See, if we got that concept of, I need to run from Him when I messed up, we're not hearing the Gospel. But when I mess up, I know that I can run right back to Him and climb up into His arms and receive this incredible gift of righteousness. And the more I believe I'm righteous, the more I will act like I'm righteous, because the just will live by faith. And what you believe, you will act on. Let me just finish this um, uh, from uh, the Message Bible, and we'll probably be out of time on this one. It says, so where does that leave our proud Jewish insider claims and counterclaims? Cancelled. Yes, cancelled. What we've learned is this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what He does. See, it's turning it around. We don't, God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what He does. My response to Him making me righteous is I start to live out of what I believe to be true about me. We've finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and all others. By letting Him set the pace not by proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. Now, ain't that the truth? <laughs> we try to run the, pala- the parade constantly, our, but when we stop trying to run the parade and we start to respond to what God does, rather than thinking God responds to what we do, He said. And where does that leave our our, our proud Jewish claim of having a corner on God? Also canceled. God is the God of outsider, non-Jews, as well as insider Jews. God drew a bigger circle and says, I'm going to include all. He concludes, all under sin, so He can have mercy on all. Man, that's some good news. This is the good news of the gospel. How could it be otherwise, since there is only one God? God sets right all who welcome His action and enter into it both those who follow our religious, religious system and those who have never heard of our religion. By shifting our focus from what we do to what God does, don't we cancel out all our careful keeping of the rules and ways God commandment? Not at all. What happens is, in fact, is that by putting this entire way of life in its proper place, we confirm it. In other words, the life transformation that comes as a result of where we should live these glorious lives comes as instead of us trying to get God to respond to what we do, we start to respond to what He does and out of this knowing that I've been made righteous on the basis of nothing more than what Jesus did and that I've been made right with Him and out of that relationship then God begins to restore me and do a work in my life that leads me into this glorious life where I'm no longer coming short of the glory of God. Again, that's not a glow in the dark issue. That is these glorious lives that God intended for us to live. So the issue is, the Gospel is the announcement that God has made right, both Jew and Gentile, and those who welcome His action, and those who by faith enter into it. I don't know about you, but I can tell you what I believe now. I believe I'm the righteousness of God, and I'll act on it. Okay, we're about to run out of time. So if you'd like to sow a seed into this ministry, the easiest way to do it, of course, is to go to our website at linhouse.com. There's a place where you can sow a seed via credit card or debit card or PayPal. Uh, You can also send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen and, uh, or you can call the number that will come up on the screen. If you don't get an answer, please leave a message. If you'd like a callback, we will call you back, but our team is limited, and so uh, we have to call you back whenever we are not on the phone with someone else. So if you leave a message, we will call you back and uh, make sure you're able to give that way. God bless you, and thank you for joining us again this week on the program. Join us again next week.